0: If you are just visiting this evening or you haven't been around for a few weeks, uh, we just last week started a new series called Transmission. Uh, which is all about this idea of picking up our own story from where Paul left off um, so uh, really what that means is that we're doing a bit of a deep dive into the second half of Acts we're looking at all of uh, the Apostle Paul's missionary trips and, and kind of looking at how uh, this whole thing of the gospel and the Jesus narrative began to sort of spread into the world and then we're looking really uh, for what it looks like to, to find our own place into in that to kind of catch catch a bit of that ourselves and and kind kind of look at what it means for for our own lives a little bit. And so we're looking at we're looking at the story from all different kinds of angles. Uh, if you're kind of in a phase at the moment where you just don't don't even really know uh, know what to do with scripture at the moment. Uh, Picking up this week in Acts chapter 13, and just reading a chapter a day um, would do, would be a really good start. It would be a great way of kind of connecting, uh, with, at least uh, a little bit with what's going on here as well. Um, also during this series, uh, we've got a couple of different things going on. So, um, so Stanley did the same message last week, morning and night. Um, but for these for these middle couple of weeks, uh, we've actually got different different sermons, morning and night. So this morning, Vic spoke on Acts chapter 13. Tonight, I'm talking on Acts chapter 14. Um, So if you want, you can go back, you can listen to that on the podcast or the video of it is on Facebook Live. Um, you also need to know that on June 9th, which is not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, um, we're going to be taking a, like a sort of mid midway break from transmission um, because we've got our dear friend, Dr. Peter Fitch, uh, coming and sharing uh, both in the morning and, and uh, at this 5 p.m. service. Uh, if you haven't been around when, when Peter's come and visited before, honestly, you need to come hear him. He is honestly one of the most uh, beautiful, compassionate, loving, intelligent people I've ever known. He was the dean of the university uh, in Canada. Where Vic, Fran, and I, and Sandy have all studied. And um, he's honestly just one of the most incredible people to, to just learn from. Um, so I can't recommend that enough. So June 9th, make sure make sure you're around for church uh, that, that day. That'll be really wonderful. And then the following week, we'll pick up uh, for the last two weeks of transmission. So yeah, there you go. That's kind of all the, the housework side of things out of the way. Um, so yeah, like I said, tonight uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be working through our X chapter 14 uh, just a little bit. If you've got your Bibles or your iPhones or your iPads or your Android devices, we don't we don't judge you. Um, you know. Um, <laughs> Whatever, whatever you got you can you can open your little app there and I actually just want to start tonight with with a little bit of a confession because um, I, I struggle a little bit with the ideology behind missions sometimes I just find it I find it a little bit tricky to talk about um, I'm very fortunate in my life to have been able to go on a number of a number of mission trips to Guatemala in particular um, so if you've listened oh yeah that's the other bit of thing we've got these midweek podcasts coming out uh, so on Thursday uh, we're doing Doing these, we're actually interviewing people in our church who do different kinds of mission. Uh, and just this last week, my mum my and my stepdad, Steve, who work full-time in mission, um, they spoke a little bit about some of the work that they've been doing in Guatemala. So whew, back to where I was before. Um, I've been lucky enough to go to Guatemala with them uh, probably like three or four times uh, and just be able to see some of the work that they're doing with the communities there. They're building schools. They're, they're running uh, food programs. They're all kinds of crazy stuff. And so it's been really special. Um... But I, but I always find that, that, that there's just some things I, I really struggle with. I struggle with the idea that, that when you are a Western person going into a, some sort of developing country, um, you're, you're kind of treated with a certain kind of, of reverence. You know, they just they kind of they kind of think you're it or you've got it all together or something, and it's it's this it feels like there's this strange um, imposition of a culture onto another culture. And so, you know, I've, I've spoken in Guatemalan churches and just been deeply saddened by the fact that they're doing hillside. Songs, you know, not so much that there's anything wrong with the Hillsong songs, but just that it's like, man, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna worship Guatemalan like when I'm here, you know, and it's like I'm just worshiping like an Australian or a New Zealander. And so, you know, so I find, I find, I find that really hard. I find it strange that in some mission contexts, uh, there are um, there is like a, a, an implied transactional element that, you know, yes, we want to come in and we want to set up medical facilities or school facilities. Um, uh, but also, like, our main primary agenda is to, like, just get some salvations. Like, you know, just, just get people saying that three-step prayer. Get them across the line. And it's like, it's, it's a strange agenda. And so I find this, like, internal conflict because this other part of me is just so in love with the idea of being able to embody this redemptive narrative, to carry this gospel, to, to, to be able to share it. Like, like I love that. And so I've got this sort of internal little conflict, and so just mission becomes this thing where it's like, it's just kind of easy to park off to the side, just a little bit sometimes, um, and, and just talk about some other things, which is why really I'm I'm just so glad that we're, that we're actually doing this uh, as a series. Um, and so as I've continued to just research and read during this week, um, I've really just... I've really just found myself drawn towards that idea uh, of embodying and rediscovering what it looks like to carry the gospel with all of ourselves and in all of our lives. And I think it's just something so, uh, so beautiful. And so uh, it's just such a good journey that we get to be on. And I just uh, so hope that you guys find this time in these next few weeks just incredibly fruitful um, because I think it's going to be great. Right, let's get an idea of where we're at. So Vic spoke a little bit about uh, Acts, chapter thir- uh, Acts chapter 13. This is Paul's first missionary trip. If you remember last week or you weren't here last week, Stanley was just sort of talking about uh, Paul kind of preparing and that there's this sort of, you know, almost like a decade-long period of time where Paul's preparing and then he kind of launches into his first mission trip. So Vic kind of got us started a little bit. But you can kind of see, is anyone here like terrible at geography like me? Right, Oh man, we've got a laser pointer today. Yeah, Um, so this uh, Seleucia is right where uh, Paul and Barnabas set off from. They sail across here, start doing their mission work through here, come up, and we're going to find ourselves, boop, they've just kind of done all this sort of stuff, Vic kind of covered all that off, and we're just going to be in Lystra today, (laughs) right? So there's been a whole bunch of stuff that's gone on, Uh, basically in Acts chapter 13, uh, uh, Paul is in in Antioch, uh, and... um, Antioch and Iconium, there you go. Just got to follow that green line. Uh, and he's preaching to a bunch of Jewish people there. And so what he's doing with them is he's looking to reframe the Jewish narrative. And so everything that he's doing with them is trying to say, hey, all of this, this law and all of these things that you do, here's how Jesus fulfills all that and embodies all that. And so his presentation to them is that Jesus is the Messiah that you've been looking for. And now you don't need to listen to Vic's sermon, okay? Okay. No. Actually, no, you should. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's probably what you should have. Um. <clears throat> just kidding. It's a great message. Um. But what's interesting, so, it's, so they just go the short little distance and they end up in this town called Lystra, which is where we find ourselves now. So we're in Acts chapter 14. You can, you can turn to whatever you've got with, uh, with you. And we're going to start reading from uh, verse 8 uh, through to verse 20. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds." But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even with these words they scarcely restrained they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him he rose up and entered the city and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Man, there's a lot going on. All right? Uh, and so I want to explore a little bit about what's happening. But I, do, I did have this question as I just sort of looked uh, looked at this passage uh, earlier. And it was this. Is, this. is this a successful mission trip? I feel like a mission trip that ends in you being stoned and just dragged out and left for dead probably isn't that great. There's not a huge amount of story about the, um, the converts or the, the people coming to know God. It's just... It's just kind of pandemonium. There's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on. So I want to just, I want to just, just try and get a little idea of, of what's actually happening here. I want to try and draw out some of the theology. And then I really want to try and look at, at a couple of encouraging observations because really as we just kind of look at it, a bit of a snapshot. Uh, it seems like Luke, who's, who's writing Acts, is giving us a snapshot of something that uh, hasn't really been that particularly successful in regards to mission. Um, So there's a few things that I find find deeply fascinating. Uh, One of the things is this this first response, okay? Very different to Antioch and Iconium, where he's he's coming from, right? What was the big thing that was kind of going on there? He was trying to reframe the Jewish understanding. He was working with uh, with other Jews. But he comes to this this new area, not very far away, to the uh, the city of Lystra. And he's suddenly dealing with, with a much different religious context. He's dealing with with people who, who worship the Greek gods or, and, and dealing in sort of pagan rituals. And so there's this first response. People see what Paul and Barnabas are doing and they go, "Huh! oh my goodness, you guys are Zeus. Zeus and Hermes, right? Zeus being the god of thunder, Hermes being the messenger god. Who's, who did their, who watched Hercules when they were a kid? That's the only way I know. I didn't study ancient Greek or anything. Um, so there's this. There's this sort of interesting thing where their first response is, huh, we know about this. In fact, I was reading reading Tom Wright's work about this, and he says, actually, uh, in in this region, sort of in Turkey, uh, there are these ancient inscriptions and ancient sort of, uh, I don't know, passages uh, where people were, were expecting at some point Zeus to come and be entertained by them in human form. Right, So kind of like within the Christian context where we are, are waiting for the second coming of Christ, there are these ancient stories that these people exist, uh, living in Lystra sort of had these, these stories of the divine, of, of the gods coming to meet with them at some point. So they see this thing take place and they're going, oh my goodness, this is a this is fulfillment of our prophecies. This is, this is unbelievable. So what do they want to do? They want to respond not just with sacrifices, but with a full-blown party. They're like, oh my goodness, let's get everything. We're, we're going to do the sacrifices. We're going to get all kinds of food. We're going to have a big feast. And we are going to celebrate because this, this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. It's kind of a crazy story, right? And so Paul and Barnabas begin to, to just freak out. Like, no, 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 you guys, you don't, under- you don't understand. You don't understand. Like, like we're, just, we're just normal people. We're just men. We are only human. But this is not a story <laughs> that these people, that the people um, of Leicester want to hear. And so it says that they would scarcely restrain the people. It's like they've barely been able to convince them, hey guys, guys, just tone it down. In fact, uh, Tom, Wright, uh, Tom Wright says this, he goes, uh, once people are bent on having a ritual and a party and a celebration meal all rolled into one, which pagan sacrifices were, they are going to be disappointed if you stop them. Okay? <laughs> so there's this all sort of groundswell of activity, this response, oh my goodness, someone's been healed? Zeus is here. You know? And they, they just want to have this, this big party. And they do not like the fact that Paul and Barnabas are, are, are just going, no, 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 you don't understand. We... We are only human. And then you have this other element that suddenly gets thrown into the mix in the, in the wake of this. What happens next? But Jews come from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stone-pull. So it was hard to get the crowds to calm down, but it was easy to whip them up into a frenzy again to kind of go, hey, these guys are actually impostors. And so for Lystra, what they're hearing is they're going, hey, if you aren't Zeus and if you aren't Hermes, then what you are communicating to us is that you are an imposter. You are something different. You are telling a story that is not not part of us, not what we're about. And so it becomes easy for them to suddenly shift into this different mode. A group that was once ready, to jump into a party and a big celebration and a big feast is suddenly turned towards violence. To the point where they they nearly stone Paul to death. So there's something that seems to happen. So when I look at this, you, you can sort of understand why I'm saying it feels like this might not be the most successful mission trip. We don't hear a whole lot about people who come to know and enter into the love of Christ, uh, we do hear about people who want to kill someone. Solid effort. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and so one of the things I find deeply fascinating about this is that, is that Luke actually shows us a picture coming off the back of Acts chapter 13 and coming into, into, uh, into chapter 14, we see, that, we see that there are these other worldviews that are struggling to reconcile the narrative of Jesus and enfold the narrative of Jesus into this thing that they are doing into their own stories. They're really struggling with that. And so there is a rejection by the Jewish listeners that we we see in Acts chapter 13. And then there is the rejection by the pagan listeners, the people in in the town of Lystra. And so both the Jewish and the pagan worldviews struggle with this new narrative of Jesus that Paul and Barnabas are presenting. They struggle to incorporate it. They struggle to accept it. And so that feels like something of a discouragement. Because here's Paul having spent all these years getting ready. Here's Paul responding to the invitation of Christ. Here's Paul having worked out all of his theology, having worked out a framework, stepping out in faith, taking taking this story, carrying this thing, only to have it ultimately thrown back at him. We don't want this. Jews and pagans alike, we don't want anything to do with this. What a discouraging story. Shall we take communion now? Amen. I actually think I actually think Luke in writing this is, is doing something very, very intentional, showing us a, an evolving missional methodology, um, showing us how how actually how the story kind of rises up through a groundswell, how it sort of comes up through all, all all kinds of opposition. And so I wanna I wanna make some encouraging observations in this story, even though it's not a particularly um, <coughs> encouraging thing to read at first glance. But here are my here are my here are a few of my thoughts. The first is that there is a recognition of the divine. So even though these people incorrectly name what they see as being Zeus and Hermes, there is a recognition that there is something inherently divine about these two individuals. So there's a recognition, hey, something's going on here. You saw someone who was broken, who was hurting, and you did something with them and something changed, something miraculous, something out of the ordinary took place. And we recognize that. Because the miraculous is, is so absurd. It's so outside the realms of reality that you can't help but notice. You know? And I think that's kind of true in our own lives. You know, that we can't help but notice when someone does something like radically generous. Or when someone in our life sort of slows down and really looks us in the face and says, Hey, how are you doing? Or how's that thing going for you? Or Can I, pr- can I pray for you? Like we recognize, oh, oh it feels like. Jesus is in this, you know? Like a, you, you recognize those moments of divinity like God might be in it. So there's a recognition that I think we can be encouraged by. That people recognize when, the, when something divine's breaking through. People can recognize the kingdom even if they don't quite have the language for this. And here's what the exciting thing about Acts and we'll see it in the weeks to come. But Paul begins to like develop his methodology so he begins to use this sort of stuff in his favor as he connects with different people groups. So Paul himself is learning and growing even through this missional process. Um, <clears throat> and so divinity is recognized. And I think it's recognized because it's particularly captivating and it's restorative. People notice that, which also raises another question for me. like, If something is not captivating and if it's not restorative, is it even the kingdom? You know, so I think there's, anyway, there's a a few things in there for us. But I think we can be encouraged that that the divine is recognized, that the activity of the kingdom can be, can capture the hearts of people, even if they don't have the right words for it. That, I think, is an encouraging start. I'm encouraged... um, by, by Paul's, what I've called the path of inca- incarnation. I don't quite know if that's, that's quite the right sort of words to use, but, but Paul seems to be looking to identify the path of incarnation. Incarnation, incarnation being the idea of Jesus coming and, and sort of indwelling creation, coming in and being a part, being, being within. You know? Paul's looking to identify. He's trying to find a way of being able to, to enter into the story of these, these people. So when he comes to Lystra, what he says is different to what he says to when he's in Antioch or Iconium. Like I said before, he was talking to to Jewish people before from a Jewish context. And so everything he does sort of springs from this idea of Torah and the laws and talking about the fulfillment and this Messiah that you've been looking for. It's in the person of Jesus. But he takes this entirely different angle. And so when he's dealing with the with the, with the pagan culture, well, what do they believe about gods? Well, they believe all different elements of life. So there's a god for rain and for thunder and for war and for love, and, the, and you know there's this different setup, and they have to do different things to please different gods. And if they please one god this way, then actually those gods had an affair at some point. So like they, you know, they might make the other one angry. Like you know, it's this very sort of complicated thing. And so Paul actually does something very intelligent where he, where he brings all of this their ideas about God or gods and brings them into the. Single thing and says, hey, there's a creator God, a single creator God who is over all, who embodies all and has actually never left you. You know, you've had fruitful seasons. Um, You know, like you've you've had a productive life. You know, he's like, your life has been good and it's been looked over by one God who has not neglected you. So he comes into really this, like, this single idea of, of, of this one God. It's a different thing entirely. In a way, a Jewish missionary, someone who didn't even believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they could have gone and done the same sort of message. But it's like he's looking for, okay, how, what does it look like to meet this people group where they are at? What does it look like to enter into their context? They're, how can I tell this story in a way that will be meaningful to them? It's like... And he's, it's, not like he, it's not like he perfectly nails it, right? It doesn't turn out great for him. But you will see in the chapters to come that, this, that, he, that he, he, he grows in this way, in this approach of mission. So I think that we can be deeply encouraged that he's looking for the way that he can meet people where they are at. And the other thing that I find a little bit encouraging about this story is that it's actually an unstoppable story, that the story will spread despite and in the midst of opposition because we know that even still out of these towns in the wake of this mission trip, things still happened. People still are bought into the story of Jesus. People were still, were still captivated by it. People were able to give the name of Jesus to, uh, to their life in, in a new and meaningful way. Like we, we know those things and we can be deeply encouraged by that. What this passage does is it highlights all the different pitfalls and the misunderstandings, the way that, you know, when you engage with different people groups, um, how you can just sometimes just kind of rub each other up the wrong way. It kind of shows all the things that can, that can, you know, shows that things can go wrong. But also, the story can't be stopped. The story has a way of capturing people when, when the time is right. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, um, the journey of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth is unstoppable, but it's uncomfortable. That comes with the territory. Anytime you have to take this, this sort of deeply powerful story, a story that, that completely changes your existence, that reframes your way of thinking, that, that changes the way you, you act towards the other, that changes the way you go and do your job. Anytime you meet, encounter something that says, hey, you've got to do things differently, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause friction. Right? It's like, have you ever had your boss come in and say, hey, you're actually off that assignment, and now you're onto a new assignment. Now you've got to do this thing, and you're like, but I've just been six months working on this project. Now you're just going to hand it over to you know, Randy over there in the corner. He doesn't know what he's doing, he's a useless. You know? No one knows a Randy, right? I just wanted to make that <laughs> as impartial as possible. But you know, but you, you like, we are naturally resistant to change. And yet this story for 2,000 years has been unstoppable and it is broken into different cultures and different contexts in unique and powerful and meaningful and deeply beautiful ways. And so even though we have this seemingly unsuccessful mission trip through the town of Lystra in Antioch and Iconia, actually things happen and lives are changed and there's something meaningful that begins to take place. And I think that we can find this deeply encouraging. And as we look at Paul's story and as we look for uh, the ways that we can begin to pick up the baton and we can look for the application of that into our own lives, um, there's, a few, there's a few things I want to sort of extend to you as something of an invitation uh, or just a, just a challenging thought. Some things that we can kind of take from this story just a little bit. The first is this, is that you are a divine image-bearer. That just like the way uh, Paul was, was recognized as, as doing something divine, and people gave him the name Zeus, people recognize things you do. You know, Scripture talks of us being made in the image of God. We are the imago Dei. There is a, there is a, a vocation on humanity to go and embody, the, and, uh, to go and, embody and live out um, the things of God, to be the divine reflection like that's a that's a big thing to carry, and it's an important thing to be aware of. That that when we step into the story, that's something we should we should consider seriously. What you say and do matters and leaves an impression. Um, yesterday was it was actually a. a, a a pretty meaningful full moment for me, as a lot of you will know. I've been been doing some work uh, with parachute music over the last year and a half, um, and my role has been to work as a like a chaplain and a support worker for musicians. Um, and so I just I spend most of my time just basically doing pastoral care with with musicians and talking deeply about life and faith. But yesterday I got to moderate a panel uh, at the New Zealand Music Month Summit, uh, which is just an event where. All different people in the industry go to, and I, I got to moderate a panel talking about looking after yourself on the road. So I got to interview um, some some sort of full-time musicians uh, about how how they look after themselves when they're traveling, when they're away from family, when they're when they're living and you know living hotel hotel, um, and and they're just exposed to all of those things that kind of come with that rock star lifestyle, right? You know, drugs and sex and alcohol, all that kind of jazz. Like we we went we went into some of that territory. And um, one of the guys on the panel was a guy called, called Lawton. Uh, who Him and his brothers had a band called Cora. Anyone, anyone a Cora fan? Anyone a big fan of Aotearoa barbecue roots music? No, not so much. They were a big deal, right? When I was at Marbex, their CD sold out all the time. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, so, so they've, they've had quite a significant career within the New Zealand music industry. He's played in a number of bands, including um, like Fly My Pretties and, and just a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, <clears throat> But anyway, he he sort of said we were talking about this thing, and he he goes, you know, for the first few months I was out on tour, maybe even the first year, he goes, he goes, I was all about that stuff. He goes, the drugs were available to me, the alcohol was available to me. And he goes, and he goes, man, I was just, I was going hard, and I was just ragged within days, and I'd still have to go months on tour. And he goes, I was just so, it was so unhealthy for me. And he goes, and then he goes, my dad sat me down, and he goes, you're only as son, you're only as good as your last gig right? You're only as good as your last gig. And he was like, and that for me was this moment where I had to just sit down and think about the kind of person that I wanted to be, the kind of musician I wanted to be, the kind of front man I wanted to be. And he goes, goes, I was sitting down by myself and he goes, I realized that everything I did left an impression on the people who watched me. He goes, it was at that moment I realized I was being watched. And I had to think to myself and decide for myself, who do I want to be seen as? What do I want to be known for? And he goes, and that was when I just changed my approach to all that sort of stuff. So quite like, quite a profound revelation, right? What do I want to be seen as? That's a significant thing for us. like As, as people who carry this story, what, what do we want to be seen as? Do we take seriously this call to, to be the Imago Day? Do we do we recognise that in ourselves? And what does it mean to live like that? Recogn- like, you know, acknowledging the fact that people will recognise certain things in us. So you are a divine image bearer and people will notice things. People will notice the things that you do. It's something worth thinking about. The other side of that coin is this as well, is that it is important for us to be able to acknowledge our own humanity. Right? We have to be human in our attempts to carry this message. Right? And the weight, the weight of what God is doing, the weight of this, of this story, of this gospel kind of going into all the corners of the earth, it doesn't, doesn't rest entirely on our shoulders. So, so the other side of being a divine image bearer is that we're, we're still uniquely human. And we're still flawed, and it's so important to be gracious to ourselves. Um, earlier this week, I was just on Facebook, and I saw um, it, was some, it was some girl's birthday, and I was like, man, who, who is that? I couldn't remember who she was. I was like, so it's strange. She's my thing. And then I remembered years and years ago, my first year of, of working as the youth pastor for this church, she was friends with some people here, and she was coming along. She wasn't a Christian or anything, and, and, but, but she just loved coming and being in church, and I was like, uh, like she was my opportunity for my first convert, you know. And I had so many conversations with her like over a sort of six-month period, um, you know, and like and, and sort of all of her friends would always be around. And it was always I was always like, Are you gonna Are you gonna do your little three-step prayer? Are you gonna, you know, like is tonight? Is you know tonight's youth group? Like you know, I just wanted to be able to report to Vic. Well, we got one last night, Vic. You know, <laughs> like. You know, it's like I was just I was just hanging out for her to kind of make that commitment, and, and and ultimately like, she just she just kind of gave up like the maybe it was like the pressure or something, but well yeah it's probably the pressure, <laughs> you know. But but ultimately like it just it just ended up being a story she didn't want to step into. She wasn't ready to step into. And I was I, I just remember being so bummed about it at the time, and it was like and just just this week hey it's like haven't really thought about it for years, but just. It just sort of popped up in my feed, and I was like, "Oh man, I had probably just I probably just did her such a disservice by by making it about this 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 really narrow thing rather than just giving her the space to to discover and let this story capture her and and come its own way." And you know, I don't I just definitely don't have the gift of evangelism, or you know, like whatever. But but man, it's but but you know, I'm human. I'd I am human i i, I have not done this thing perfectly. I've you know I've been a ministry. 10 years and I've probably had more failures than successes, you know, it's just, but I'm human. So I think when we look at this story, it's like we see, we see the, the uniquely human elements of, of how people respond and, I, and how people carry it. Um, and so, you know, acknowledge your own humanity. Be, be okay that it just some, sometimes doesn't quite work out. Be okay with the messiness and the un- uncomfortableness of it all. And then my final thought is this, is that it's really important for us to be able to identify our entry point, right? Just like what Paul's looking to do, I think it's so important, you know, and, th- and this for me has been, been a, a big lesson over the years, is to, is to try and learn about where people are at. Learn about what's kind of going on in their lives. Sometimes people are naturally spiritual, Sometimes they're like, they, they, they just have this like very spiritual worldview and they're like, yeah, of course there's a God, um, but I just, I, you know, I struggle with putting the name Jesus to it or I don't really understand that, but, but the entry point of like God is very easy for them. Other people are like, no, you don't understand, Calvin. Like there's only empiricism, like there's only... There's only that which you can measure, what science tells us. you know, like, They've got nothing on their grid for like connecting with the concept of God at all. And that's like, those are two entirely different conversations. And so it's really important that you try and identify with people that. And that doesn't, for a second, give space for like the sort of complexity and the nuance of like people's family histories or whether they've been abused or whether they've um, been hurt or damaged by their time in church before or like e- any other thing. And so one thing I've learned over the years is that, is that you know, uh, sometimes we tend to think about, about sort of faith uh, as like a paddock, like there's a fence around it, and our job is to get people over the fence and into the paddock, right? It's like, we've got, we've got, let's just try and get as many cows, you know, like in as we can. And that's going to be, you know, imagine saying that to God, look at all the cows, full paddock thank you, you know, like, you're welcome, or something, you know, like, I think that's sometimes how we think about it, but I've come to learn just over the years more and more that, that there's, that there's no boundary, right, but that, but that we are, we are a centered, that this faith thing is about, is about a centered approach, that Jesus is at the center of all reality, of the universe, like, whatever language, Jesus is at the center, and people are coming towards Jesus from different angles or maybe they're not moving or maybe they're static or, like, uh, or maybe they're walking backwards or whatever. But, but Jesus is at the center or maybe they're walking sideways, whatever. And our job and our, our role is to get alongside them and just lovingly learn about who they are, where they're at. And then if we're, if we're lucky enough, we get to journey alongside them towards the center. And that's a real privilege. You know, and so you want to, you want to be able to identify your entry point. You know where, where, where do I just get to like sort of hop on this train with you? Those are important things, I think, to be able to think about. So know that you're a divine image bearer. Acknowledge your own humanity, and just identify the entry point. These are things I think that we can take as being deeply encouraging as we look at this somewhat shambolic. Uh, first missionary story of Paul, and we'll get to see these sorts of things play out as we dive through the rest of Acts. So I think that's that's really important for us. Um, what I want to do is as as we come to a close, I just want to invite you to stand, and and I wanna and I want to pray for you, and then I'm just going to lead us lead us into communion because I think I think when we come to the communion table. We we reconnect with, with what the story means for us and it allows us and affords us the opportunity to, to, to embody it in a in a more meaningful way. Communion has always been deeply powerful for me in in that regard. And it would be my be my hope that that it just it just brings us just just gently and peacefully back back into that place again. And so, Lord, I just ask your presence to be near, to come and rest, rest on the heart of each one of us. Lord, we thank you for this journey that we are on together. Thank you that we get to dive into this story, and thank you, thank you, that the story that that the scriptures we look at aren't aren't this aren't this like sort of perfect picture of someone just just nailing it each and every step of the way, but. But that it's it's a picture of something real, something that, that can resonate with us. Thank you that we can connect with it. And thank you that it functions as, as something of a of an invitation for us. Lord, we love you and 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 perhaps you know I think everyone. Everyone here may be in different places, but but Lord, we, we're here because this story has in some way played a significant part in our life. And Lord, in this space, we just want to say we, we would love for this story to, to captivate our hearts once again so that we might be able to carry it in a meaningful way. Lord, help us to carry it as the Imago Day as divine image bearers. Help us to carry it with a sense of, of your love and your compassion and your grace and your justice and your mercy. Help us to do that. Help us to be gracious towards ourselves as we make mistakes or sometimes say the wrong thing or road rage at the person in the car next to us or whatever. Just help us to be gracious towards ourselves. And help us to form new relationships We we just get to get alongside people and love them and be present to them wherever they are at, regardless of what is going on in their lives. And Lord, if we are privileged enough to be invited into deep relationship with them and to journey with them, Lord, we want to we wanna, uh, navigate that with, with integrity and with humility and with profound love. And so, Lord, we come to the communion table this evening. We we celebrate the story of of your your body broken and your blood shed. This promise of of new life and and a restoration of relationship with, with each other and with you. And we find new meaning in it once again. Help us to carry this story.